Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 10 of Hope Between the Lines. My name is Dan Herod, and it is my joy to be on this journey with you on this very fine day. Today, I'm having a conversation with youth pastor John Malstead. This gentleman has 15 years of youth ministry experience. He is a devoted family man. He is an avid runner, and he comes with bucketfuls of practical encouragement and guidance for every single adult who wants to help their son or daughter navigate the use of technology in their home. So I hope you're ready for a great conversation on today's episode of Hope Between the Lines. Well, John Malstead, welcome to Hope Between the Lines. I am so excited to be here. Oh, dude, I have been looking forward to this conversation for several reasons. And one of them is you are one of the people in my life who models just a consistency and a discipline that is inspirational. And what I really appreciate about how you live your life is that it's not a, hey, look at me, like some some people who are super disciplined like yourselves and there's nothing wrong with that approach to be super outgoing and super hey 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 look at me but i really appreciate how you live your life and if someone were to just do what you do they would be healthier and well thank you that means a lot and i'm really excited that this is going to be all about me tonight well it is it is the uh it is the uh, John Malstead show for the next uh, few moments. And no, thank you, Dan. That that means a lot. Oh, dude, there's a reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you. And I, I've seen you be steadfast through different seasons of your life. And that is awesome. And I'm excited to dive into maybe a little bit of your story, like, yeah. Where did it all begin for you and your journey? And you can go as far back as, as you want, but like, who is John Malstead and what is he doing now? Yeah. Well, first off, let me just say, it's no secret that you are a mentor to me. Um, and I'm sure that'll come up in my story, but um, a dear friend and someone that I respect and look up to and inspires me. So wow. right back at you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, a little bit about me, uh, only child, um, probably as spoiled as people are picturing in their heads right now, but oh, no. <laughs> uh, but only child, um, my parents had me later in life. They couldn't have kids for a while. And then 13 years into marriage, uh, they finally had me mm-hmm. and, um, loving home grew up loving God. Um, but definitely from an early age not wanting to have anything to do with ministry um Hmm. just based on some some unfortunate interactions with pastor's kids that i had as a child um probably had some of that coming but um but yeah some some interesting interactions that made me go you know i really want to serve god but not as a pastor Hmm. and um but then in high school i had um a a youth pastor by the name of charlie collier who really um, yeah showed me what an impact a youth pastor could have Mm -hmm. 
And so um, God used him to, to say, actually, no, you are going to go into ministry. So oh. um, yeah, so I went to Evangel University um, and then started off in Wapan and that's uh, as a youth pastor. And that's where we met. You were nice enough to start meeting with me once a month. And for a while, I thought it was really nice of this guy to, you know, get together with me for lunch. And then about five or six months in, I was like, wait a minute, he's mentoring me. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it was awesome. I was like, I need, this is great. Um, so yeah, so my wife, uh, my wife and I, uh, we were in Wapan for about six years and then we came to the church we're at now um we've been at the church we are at now for nine so um yeah so 15 years in youth ministry um but the things you really need to know about me uh i'm a obviously i just said i'm I'm married i'm a husband Uh, my wife shalana i've been married for 14 years Mm. um i'm a dad to three amazing kids um we have i feel old we have a, a girl in middle school all right. In my youth group. Um, yeah. And um, just just got to baptize her actually last week, um, which I was not ready for how emotional that was going to be. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, wow. You know, I mean, I, I've done some things that, that I, by my standards, I think are pretty cool. Um, I've, you know, I've been fortunate enough to run a few marathons and um, play on some pretty cool sports teams in high school, um, travel to some amazing places, been to India and Brazil, but none of that compares to baptizing my daughter. Yeah. Um, and just that moment of hearing her share her testimony and then baptizing her and just being reminded of what's really important in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, just having that moment of, you know, you spend so much time on, or at least I spend so much time on so many things that at the end of the day, they might matter a little, but you know, the investment that I have in my kids and then seeing her take that step, it's like, God was just reminding me of, Hey, stay focused on the right things. Wow. Well, having been been given the same privilege logan took the step to follow christ in water baptism and i got to be a part of that and so as i hear the emotion in your voice it's bringing me back to the moment uh, with my boy and i i do understand what you're saying when a parent who follows jesus i mean even take away the ministry title i mean take away what we do for a vocation in the service of the church. I believe anytime an adult follower of Christ sees their son or daughter say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, that, that's a powerful moment. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So you have been in youth ministry now for, is it 15 years? Is that right? Yep. 15 years, yeah. So you have seen several seasons of student ministry in America, and you've served in a central Wisconsin context for some of it. And would you consider yourself um, a northern Milwaukee 
suburb. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And what are some things that you've noticed that have changed over the past 15 years in student ministry? Well, I think the obvious one is the smartphone, right? I mean, mm. the smartphone has changed life. And I mean, in obvious ways, but in student ministry, there's definitely been a shift in so many things. I mean, from simple things like, um, you know, when we go on trips, it's like a lot of, you know, when on the trips we allow phones, it's like students are in con constant contact with parents. Um, whereas when I first started youth ministry, it was like, all right, parents, like, well, we'll you know, we'll see you. We'll see you in five days. Um, yeah. And so, you know, just the smartphone, um, the, the mental health issues that come from social media and staring at a screen, um, you know, the, the rise in pornography addictions that come from mm. a smartphone in your pocket. I mean, so, yeah, and, and it's not all bad. Um, I think in some ways, I, smartphones have allowed me and, uh, and the volunteers, you know, that work in the ministry to be more in touch with students throughout the right. week. Yeah. Um, it's also, I think, allowed students to see outside of their bubble and see other parts of the world and, and problems and issues in the world that they probably would not have realized or would have taken them longer to realize. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so, you know, obviously it's not all good. It's not all bad, but um, for sure, the smartphone, you know, the smartphone is probably the biggest shift in youth ministry over the past uh, 15 years. So two years after the smartphone was launched, social media platforms existed when smartphones launched, but they migrated to mobile about two years after smartphones were introduced to the world. And I believe her name is Jean Twen. She's a, a psychologist who works with generational mental health trends. And she's identified the advent of the arrival of social media to the smartphone as the genesis for what we are now seeing as a, a decline in student mental health. And there's actually empirical data that shows that the, the good mental health behaviors started declining after social media went to mobile. And then the bad mental health markers started climbing in converse fashion. So how are, how are you leading your family through that? And what advice are you giving your leaders? Because your adult leaders, uh, I'm assuming some of them are empty nesters, but some of them might have teens. Some of them have very young children. What are some thoughts that you can kind of share that you found are just good wisdom to equip students to be healthy with their devices? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me has just been try, exactly what you're saying, just trying to give, give that information, the, the actual data, right? Cause we can, we can guess about what smartphones are doing and that's what we, you know, years ago, that's what we had to do because the data wasn't out there yet. Right. But now there is, now there's a lot of data. Um, all, you know, all sorts of things from what you talked about to even just their attention spans mm -hmm. have decreased 
um, you know, you have a lot less time to grab their attention now because of the smartphone. So um, po pointing parents and leaders to, to the data and just saying, yes, it, you know, it is a problem. It, I, I kind of put it this way to parents, you know, it's kind of like there was a point in time when it was accepted to just throw your kid in the back of a truck, you know, without a seatbelt, like in the, in the flatbed mm -hmm. and just take off going 70 miles down the, you know, down the, down the highway and nobody batted an eye. That was just yeah. like, right. And then at some point enough data came out where people said, yeah, that's probably not the greatest idea. Right. Maybe we should throw them in, actually in with a seatbelt. And I think we're getting to a point where people are finally saying, handing a young teenager a smartphone and just saying, go nuts, mm -hmm. probably not the greatest idea. Yeah. And so, yeah, so practically speaking, I, you know, I just encourage parents, um, especially if they have a student where they're just starting to hand them a smartphone. It's a little bit harder, you know, if you've already had some things established, some, some family rhythms established, it's, it's not impossible, but it's a little bit harder with, with those. But if, if you have a child that you're just starting to entertain the idea of giving them a smartphone, um, then I, you know, I, one of the biggest things I encourage parents is don't think of it as all or nothing. I think, I think the bad question to ask is when can my child have a phone? The better question to ask is when they get a phone, how am I going to slowly help them grow into using it effectively? That's outstanding, John. That is outstanding. Because you're right. It's not a matter of if they're going to get a smartphone. Because even if parents delay that while the child is underneath their roof, when they turn 18, at the very latest, they're going to have the money and the motivation to go get that. And I really appreciate how you brought all of that to light because I do believe we get stuck in those binary moments. It's gotta be pedal to the metal, no supervision, or it's gotta be they're never ever touching it ever. And somewhere yeah. yep. somewhere in between is, is the healthier way to go. Right. I mean, we, we don't do that. If you think of most of the important things in life, there's a process. Hmm. So for example, driver's license. When a kid starts, when a, when a child turns 16, you don't just hand them their driver's license and say, go nuts. Right. There's a process, you know, there's driving together. There's, there's classes. There's even when they turn 16, there are, there's certain times they can't drive. There's certain restrictions on how many friends they can have in the car. So much is, is thought about to keep them safe. And I think the same, the same approach um, could be taken with a smartphone. Mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of when, but, but okay, if they have it, um, what, are, what are the boundaries going to be? What are the restrictions going to be? How are you going to help them um, understand what social media is? Um, the makers, wow. you know, there, there's a lot of data on the makers of social media aren't making it to be nice. Truth. Um, and so anyway, yeah, I mean, I, Boy, you got me on my soapbox, so I could <laughs> we could go for a while. But yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is just helping parents. And then even with older students, just having those conversations, you know, even if they are at that point, it's, it's too late to set restrictions or, you know, if that ship has sailed, that's fine. But at least start having those conversations and asking, being curious, asking questions. Hey, hey, when you spend an hour on social media, do you, do you feel better when you're done? Right. Or do you feel worse? Yep. Um, hey, when tell me, do you have a better day when you're on your phone all day or when you're 
when you put it away and you go outside or you go yeah. do a hobby you love, like talk to me, which one do you, when do you feel better? Those are outstanding questions. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say one last thing. One last thing. I talked to a lot of parents that feel enormous guilt with this. Hmm. And I just, I just want to say like, I hope that parents don't, if there's, you know, a parent listening to this that has a teenager that you, and they already have a smartphone and maybe you haven't set a lot of boundaries. Like, I hope you don't feel guilt because the truth is this is, this is still so new that there's, there's just, you just don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it feels like smartphones have been around forever in some ways, but the reality is when you, when you think back over, I mean, over the course of the world, my goodness, this is just the infant stages of smartphone. And so, you know, there's always a chance to start fresh. And the truth is we're still in this stage where we're still trying to figure out how to make smartphones uh, something we use that don't, that doesn't use us, um, that doesn't control us. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to say that. I, I hope parents don't feel guilt. Um, the reality is this is, this is, we're all learning right now. That's good. We're all learning right now. Now oh, that's well said. And I'm really glad you brought that up because there is a real pressure on every parent today because they're as new as this is, that also means that there's never been an era like this before. And right. with the sheer amount of cultural shifts alone, I mean, subtract the smartphone out of this, just culturally the shifts that have taken place in the American home for the American teenager, that's pretty, at the tectonic level, the plates have shifted there. And so now you add in smartphones and I really appreciate you reminding us all to have grace for ourselves because no parent is, is intentionally <laughs> uh, allowing anything that's bad happening. It's just kind of like you said it well, we don't know what we don't know. And so thank you for, for bringing that up because I think it's vital because I believe it's never too late to do the right thing for the next generation. It right. just, it's never too late. Yeah. And so that means that whatever has happened, let's, let's accept it, not love it, <laughs> but right. accept it and then begin to make the better choice. And so, John, would you say this, I, I guess I'm asking, would you agree with this thought or not for a parent introducing their child to technology, the, the circle and their liberties, you can start off small, right? You can just put them in a space that they can manage that doesn't manage them and they can learn how to grow. And then you can gently and intentionally give them more liberty. But for the parent that maybe the circle never existed, uh, what are some thoughts or encouragement that you can give to that parent who is, as you said, Maybe they didn't know what they didn't know, and but they wanna they wanna help their son or daughter navigate this now. You alluded to it. I mean, there's there comes a point when you want to be their friend, but you need to be their parent. Hmm. And you know, I if they're at the stage in development, hopefully they are where you can just share logic. They're not gonna like your decision, but at least again, there's enough data where you can come to them and say, here's here's the data. Like and you may not like this, but we're gonna we're gonna kind of have some conversations and some boundaries are gonna be put in place. 
um, because I love you too much. And here's what I tell parents, you know, I think the number one complaint that the, the, they'll get back, if I had to guess, is, well, all my friends, this, mm-hmm. right? No matter what the age, all my friends, this. And, and my, my suggestion, and again, they're not going to like this, but my suggestion is, well, here's the thing. Normal isn't working mm. because your generation is the most oppressed, the most lonely, the most addicted generation in the history of the world. And I love you too much to be normal. Wow. And again, I'm not saying they're going to like that response, but it's <laughs> the truth. Like the, the statistics don't lie. This, this is the, the most lonely, the most depressed uh, the most, uh, filled with anxiety, addicted to different things. Like, and a lot of it comes back to the smartphone Mm -hmm. and so normal isn't working. And so if every other friend that they have is doing it, that's sad, but that, but again, that doesn't mean that you want them to live that way. Wow. That's really well said. And I think, you know, the sitcom era, cheesy adult response to the teenager saying, but everyone else is doing it. You know, the cheesy response is, well, if everyone else is jumping off a bridge, would you do that too? And so <laughs> I think there, there just needs to be an intentional thoughtfulness that I just heard you employ. A firm concern, an honest assessment. Hey, what we're doing isn't working. <laughs> And I just really appreciate how you said that, how now you're just loved way too much to let normal take place. That's so well said, John. Thank you so much for dropping that truth bomb uh, in this conversation. As we kind of shift gears here, have athletics always kind of been a key part of your life? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've um, always loved sports ever since I was a little kid. And, you know, when I got to the point where I was um, out of college, married, I was looking around trying to figure out what I was gonna do. Um, I, frankly, I was just too cheap to go to a gym. So I was like, well, I can run for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really like it at first, um, but then I started running and um, and it was after actually, after, actually after about a year that I actually started enjoying running and actually, now running is some of my favorite times with God. Um, hmm. Just when I go for a run, I really feel like I, I listen well and, and I have great conversations with God when I'm running. My, my, it's like the fog goes away and my mind becomes clear. So um, yeah, so after about a year of running, I, I finally hit that point where I actually really enjoy um, running. And so, um, yeah, so it, it's been fun to see how God has used my love for athletics um, as a child. And then eventually it morphed into one of my most enjoyable times with him mm-hmm. when I go for runs. Yeah. Right on. So when you're running, uh, is there, is there a podcast you're listening to? Is there a music playlist that you've got, or is, is there silence that you just kind of soak up as you're pounding out the miles? Like what do you, what are you doing when you're running? Yeah. Yeah. So I have, um, playlists. I listen to music. Um, and, but I'll try to be, I'll try to be sensitive to what God's telling me. And there've been times where I've just felt a little nudge to shut the music off and just run in silence for a couple miles. Um, sometimes I'll have conversations with God. Sometimes I'll just, just let it be. Um, in fact, one of my, one of my favorite 
runs I've had in a long time. It was actually last Easter, and I just thought of it the other day because we're coming up on uh, uh, maybe when people hear this, it'll already you know Easter have already passed, but we're coming up on Easter and um, last Easter, obviously with the pandemic, uh, we didn't. My our church didn't meet in person. I don't, I don't think many churches met in person last Easter. Right. And so I was running on on Easter, and I was just kind of just praying and thinking and begin working on a message and you know i feel like god nudges me quite often but it's it, there are only certain times where i'm like i am almost 100 percent that god just said something to me yeah and i was running back home i was almost home and i just it, it wasn't audible but it was close and it, i just felt like god said to me john i really enjoyed going on that run with you yeah and for whatever reason, it was a very emotional moment for me. It was like, my heavenly father enjoyed hanging out with me these past 30 minutes. Yeah. And it's not a normal Easter. Like I'm celebrating his son's resurrection by going on a run. I'd much rather be with the church family and church, but mm -hmm. we still did Easter a very unconventional way. We went for a run together. Um, so yeah, anyway, that was a long answer to a short question, but uh, usually music, but sometimes I turn the music off and just let, you know, let the, like, let, let the silence, um, let God speak to me in the silence. Yeah. I, I really appreciate uh, how you just kind of brought us into that moment of really a special closeness with God, because I don't think we have enough conversations about how close God really can be. Yeah. And whether it's through our religious experience growing up and we're like, oh man, that was just rules. Or maybe there was a modeling that happened in our home. Because sometimes people's relationship with their earthly parents becomes their understanding of their heavenly father. And I just really appreciate how you made that moment so normal as you shared it. Yes, God still speaks. Yeah. Why does he speak? Because he wants to be close to us. Yeah. I mean, Christmas, we sing it all the time. The, the, the word Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what I love about Christianity. It is this beautiful paradox where we no longer have to climb the ladder to get God's attention or to offer the right sacrifice to get him to like us. Right. Christ became the sacrifice so that we could be full tilt recipients of his love and his favor. And it's interesting that you said the word nudge because that that's my language too. I rarely have heard the Lord like audibly in my heart, if you can track with me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's not that often, but I'll have like this impulse or this nudge or this inner leading where I'm just supposed to do something. Yep. And I, I'm like, we need to, we need to normalize this because <laughs> God wants to enrich our lives in so many ways. And it, it's so much more than just enriching our bank account. It's so much more than giving us a happy life. He wants to give us life every single day that we're alive. Like 
it's it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for sharing that moment and how God is just like, John, I loved hanging out with you. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so what did that do in your in your mindset after you sensed that? Like what was that like? Um, I mean, I, again, it, it was actually pretty emotional. Um, one, because it was Easter. Two, this past year was a pretty rough year for me. Hmm. Um, and there were moments where I, you know, I definitely didn't feel close to God. And so to have that moment um, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of church being shut down, in the middle of um, a whole lot of things going on in my life where... Yeah, it was just, it was, you know, it's just amazing how God is always willing to come and give us those, in my life, he's given me those little moments when I need him most to just remind me, hey, I, I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, are you going to go through tough things? Absolutely. I mean, Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. Like, don't be surprised. But, but don't worry, like, you're not going through it alone. Yeah. I'm with you, even on your, even when you go on your, your runs, mm-hmm. I'm going on too. Like, where else would I be? Of course I'm going on, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a pretty emotional moment. That's amazing. So kind of tracking with the running talk that we're doing here, what's the farthest you've ever run? Uh, so a marathon, so 26.2 miles. Um, I've done that four times. That's the farthest. Like some guys do like the ultra marathons, and I'm like, I don't at 26.2, I am done. So well, I'm to go further. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing is that there are some people listening that are like, you did that on purpose. Like you <laughs> <laughs> like you, you you paid to do that. And, right. and that would probably be like my my camp. Like I, I love working out, I love exercising, but the thought of running 26.2 miles. I would rather punch myself in the face and, but I'm glad, I'm glad it's, it's joy for you. I'm glad that it's, it's enriching for you and it's, it's good uh, for your soul. And I didn't say the marathons are joy for me. I said the okay. shorter run, <laughs> I'm not that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do the longer runs cause I'm competitive. I do the shorter runs and those are, those are joyful God moments. I love it. That that makes sense, actually. Yeah, that makes there. sense. <laughs> so you've been married to Shalana. You said up for fourteen years. Yes. Yep. Uh, what's the story there, man? What? How did boy meet girl? How did that happen? Yeah. So um, our parents. It was an arranged arranged marriage. No, you're being kidding. serious. No. <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't know that still happened. That's amazing. Uh, no, no, but our parents knew each other. Um, and so I was back one summer from college. Um, I'm three years older than her and our parents knew each other. So we met through our parents and we did the long distance dating thing. I went back to college in Missouri and she was a, a senior in high school. Um, so yeah, we did. We, and again, this makes me feel old, but we emailed back and forth every day because yes. you, there was no such thing as FaceTime. And uh, so we emailed yes. and we have all the emails every single day. We'd send each other this long email and uh, yeah, started dating and then went from there. And uh, finally, by the time we got married, I think we were actually texting each other, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was long distance and, and um 
Yeah, it's, you know, you know this, Dan, pastor's wife, you know, my wife, when she was a little girl, did not think, I really hope that I grow up and be a pastor's wife. I know maybe some girls do, but mm-hmm. that was not in the cards for her. Like, she didn't plan on it, um, but she fell in love with me, and so she 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 became a pastor's wife. Right. And, you know, she has done so much behind the scenes. Um, pastor's wives, they do so much behind the scenes that I think most people will never know. Um, She is the backbone to our family. Um, And so I'm really, really proud of her. Um, Hmm. She, she, right now she works in in the youth ministry with me. Um, She's paid staff. She also homeschools our kids. Um, Some of my best material for my sermons I get because she listens to podcasts and reads. And so I steal stuff. She tells me. Absolutely. People come up to me and like, oh, Pastor John, that was that was so great. You know, that insight. And uh, I I try to give her credit. But um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and she's also launched um, an Enneagram life coaching uh, uh, platform. Uh, She's uh, just got certified as Enneagram life coach. And so, yeah, so so proud of her. but yeah, it's, it's been cool to watch her grow. You know, she, again, you kind of just get told, well, guess what? You're a pastor's wife. There's certain things expected of you, but it's been cool to see her grow into who God wants her to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the journey of a spouse in ministry or a spouse of the vocational minister, that is a very unique space that I think requires some thought to truly understand it it doesn't mean that just because you're not a ministry spouse that you you can never understand it right it it just means getting in the room and sharing the same air with those that are ministry spouses will will be enriching and illuminating because oftentimes it's it's a supporting cast that is one of the key reasons for the success of <laughs> the ministry leader. Yeah. I can say that it's definitely true in my life. Marlena has been a massive blessing to me. And every single success that we would we would call success on this side of eternity, <laughs> I mean, she's in the mix somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's just her faithfulness, her, her steadfast love that she she gives with with just con- consistency in the way that she is patient with me when I'm not always deserving of patience in like in every victory that a ministry leader achieves with their team there's if they're married there's a ministry spouse there behind the scenes yep. who is part of the reason why that leader is as healthy as they are who's part of the reason why that leader is able to focus and lead the charge. So I'm glad that you're, you're celebrating the unsung hero in your home. And it's, it's exciting. Anytime uh, a ministry leader is able to kind of amplify praise for their, for their spouse. I think that's awesome. So you mentioned that she's an Enneagram coach and for anyone who's listened to previous episodes, <laughs> you'll know that I still don't know my Enneagram number. And at this point, it's probably just because I'm so blasted stubborn. 
because people have tried to type me and uh, I'm intrigued. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I, I'm not interested, but I'll be your friend. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what, what's one thing that marriage has taught you over the past 14 years of life? That's a great question. Um, I think marriage has taught me um, grit. Mm. Um, I think it's taught me um, that the best things in life are not the easy things. They're the things that you, you fight for, um, the things that you work on. Um, you know, my marriage is, is wonderful, but, you know, marriage is work. Marriage is, um, you know, when you say I do, you have this idea of what marriage is going to be. And then you go and it's, it's, it's not, it's, yep. it's wonderful. It's amazing. But, it, but there's certainly um, a level of realizing that, wow, I'm a really imperfect human being and I'm really selfish and God has given me this woman to point that out to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And so, you know, 14 years in, we've had some, we've had some highs, we've had some lows. Um, my, my wife's dad died a month after we got married. Um, you know, we've, we've had, um, yeah, we've had some low moments, but we've had some amazing moments, but through it all, just fighting for each other. Uh, being super committed to each other you, you learn learn a lot about yourself you learn that the, the best things in life are going to take some grit they're going to take some determination they're going to take it's going to take two people that are really willing to fight you know and, and commit to it yeah that's outstanding uh, there's an old adage that says the best things in life are free and I don't think that's true <laughs> I know what you're saying but I, I totally agree with you I yeah the best things in life take sacrifice and work um and that's what makes them so special i i'm with you yeah i'm tracking so you've got three kids how old are they your oldest just got baptized recently but yeah, how old so, are they yeah so she's 11 and then we have a son that's nine and then we have a daughter that's six so um a lot of fun we just uh just played some mario kart earlier today yeah um, and I had to teach them some humility. So Amen. I, I did win. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, they're they're a blast. I love love being a dad. Yeah, and let's just camp there for a second because I appreciate what you just said. I believe it is a God given role for every dad uh, in their home if they have kids. Well, of course, they wouldn't be a dad if they didn't. Never mind. Uh, I believe that it is our divine right to help our children learn humility. I just, I sense that it resonates in my spirit. Um, and I believe we are, we will be crippling a generation if we as parents, specifically dads, don't drop the hammer on Mario Kart. I just think their character won't develop as strong as it could be. Um, I just, I have no, uh, I just don't believe in participation trophies. And those I don't, don't no. Nope. Those don't get handed out in the Herod house. Nope. Um, they just don't. And I, I'm smiling because <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's, it's actually uh, really important to help your kids fail with grace. Yep. Though, though I do have to say my, my son, the other day, he beat me in this game called Smash Bros. 
Yeah. I got so mad. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, when did this happen? Like, <laughs> what, the, what in the world? Dude, that happens. Logan will be on the PS4 with me and we'll be playing some Call of Duty. And he'll just wipe the map with me. And it's not even close some matches. And then I'll have a couple of matches where like I'll whoop him. But by and large, he's the better player. And I'm running to catch up. And so I get that. It's not fun. No, it (laughs) it, that's the Lord humbling me through my child. Like, when did this happen? It yeah, right. Return that loss to sender, man. That that was terrible. So uh, going forward now, what are some other dreams that are kind of burning your chest as you keep walking into the rest of 2021? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say the top dream, um, I, and this was honestly inspired by a couple guys. One of them was you. Um, you know, I just, I've realized 15 years into ministry, the importance of having people that are a little bit further along investing in me mm-hmm. uh, that was so vital in the early years when i had you as a mentor and i've had i've been fortunate enough to have some other guys walk alongside me and and i'm i'm pretty sure i would not be in ministry right now if it wasn't for you and for the other guys that have invested in me and so um what god's put in my heart is just really trying to invest in younger youth pastors and just be be around be there for them um and so um, I kind of have a, a side um, focus, um, calling it youth ministry coach. And, and the whole purpose behind it is just try to come alongside some younger guys and just be, be what you were for me, for them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the, the kingdom of God advances faster as we help each other. That's true. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? And so, yeah. And so that God's really put that on my heart just to try to um, just come alongside some young youth pastors, help them. Um, and then the other thing I, I am working on uh, a book. Um, and so I'm hoping to have that finished in the next, um, the next four or five months, mm-hmm. but, um, for sure, for sure. Just, just wanting to walk alongside, you know, everyone I talked to has said this, this past year was probably one of the toughest for youth ministers. Now, almost every profession would could say that. So it's not like youth pastors are unique. I mean, everywhere you look, everyone had a rough year last year. So, right. but um, as much as I can come alongside and help, especially younger youth pastors that are like, Oh my gosh, what did I just sign up? What did I just <laughs> sign up for? Um, I want to, I want to do that. So that God's been placing that in my heart. Other than that, just, just being a dad and not missing the season in my kid's life. Um, I'd say that's another, another dream, just being present for my kids this year. I'm tracking with you there. Uh, I just turned 40 this year and I'm realizing the power of being present and how we've kind of misunderstood the expectation that maybe our family has on us. And this is spouse and children and broader family. I think we we have gnawing on the back of our conscience, like the false expectation of you just got to be perfect for them. And that's not what they need from us. They just need us to be present. Yes. Come on. And it is that simple. 
And that means we're fully present. That means my phone is on the kitchen counter when I get home. That means that when, if I'm watching something on a screen, when Marlena walks in the room, I'm pausing whatever and I'm giving her, a, I'm, I'm listening uh, to see what, what's on her mind. And, and I, I appreciate what you just said. I'm tracking with you. Yeah. Like I, I want to be present because when you're present, that's where, where you make the difference. And when we subtract our presence, that actually makes a difference too, but it's not the one that we want. So I, I'm tracking with you, man. As you, as you kind of think through your journey, grew up having an interesting experience or feeling towards ministry. God brought someone into your life that modeled a healthier understanding of vocational youth ministry. And so you pursued the call, you, you got married, you started serving at a church, and then the Lord transitioned you to another church. Through all of those seasons of your life, where were you finding hope in those seasons? What was it that kept you going? Because I got to believe there are some stretches, just like maybe some of the longer runs, maybe that last marathon there are some stretches that were pretty tough or discouraging. What, what keeps you going? Where do you find hope? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, ultimately our hope is in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the way that, that God has shown me his hope um, is through, has always been the community around me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people, you know, it's Jesus through Jesus love through the people around me. And so as I think, again, as I think through the 15 years in ministry, um, there were times where it certainly wasn't me. Um, for example, you know, again, going back to you, God brought you in my life. I, I didn't seek you out. <laughs> you saw, you saw a relationship with me. I wasn't smart enough to do that at the time. Um, so there've been, there've been times where God's definitely, brought community into my life. There've been other times where I've sought it out and been super intentional. Um, but when I look around, um, even now, it, you know, the, the reason that I, I have, I have hope for the future. In fact, funny enough, um, my son is on this Christian rap kick. Um, now if I'm honest, I I'm probably the one that gave it to him. Cause I, I listened to some Christian rap on my runs, but there's yeah. this song by KB that came out, uh, a little while ago called hold me back but there was this line in it the first time i heard this line it just gripped me mm. um and so this the line in the kb song he says um they say millennials are leaving god i just smile like you really need to see the squad and when i heard that i was like that's it mm -hmm. because there's so much negative negativity in the news so much negativity about the world and yet when I look around at the people in my life, mm -hmm. I'm like, God's up to something. Absolutely. Uh, and when I look up and when I look at millennia, millennials and, and then Generation Z that I'm working with now, yes, there are some significant challenges they're facing, but I believe that there's some amazing things in store for them. 
Absolutely. That God is going to use that generation for some amazing. So, so that gives me hope because I yeah. see that at work in people around me. Um, I see the sacrifices that some of these young kids are willing to make to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the impact the Holy Spirit is having in their lives. And so um, that gives me hope. And I think I've also tried to be super intentional um, to realize that just because in my little bubble, I may not be seeing quote unquote amazing things. It doesn't mean that God isn't doing amazing things in the world. Um, and I was reminded of that just the other day, my wife was watching uh, a, a, a women's conference and they interviewed a current pastor um, they, they had to blur out his face because he was in a Muslim world, uh, Muslim country, excuse me. And, uh, and they interviewed his wife and his wife grew up a Muslim. I'll make this sh- long story short, but grew up a Muslim. She and her mom were both Muslims. Her mom had a disease. Uh, the doctors couldn't help her. And so this, this lady and her mom decide, well, we're, we're going to kill ourselves. We don't want to, we just, we're done with life. And so they both said they're going to kill themselves. Well, they're watching TV and a Christian broadcast comes on and there's a number you can call. So they call this, this number, they talk to, and this is related to my wife. So I'm, I might be getting a few of the details, but basically this is what happened. Um, and so they call this number and uh, the, the Christian on the other line says, well, if you guys are going to, they tell them their whole story. And the, and the guy's like, well, if you're going to kill yourselves, why not give God a week and just see what he does? Yeah. Like, what do you have to lose? Yeah. And so they both agree. All right, fine. Like if, if the Christian God's real, tell you what, we'll give him a week. And the next day, the mom is healed of her disease. Right. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the doctor and the doctor says, I don't know what to tell you. I've never seen anyone, you know, miraculously get healed from this. Wow. And so they both give their, give their lives to God. She goes on to marry this pastor and, and they're doing amazing. God's doing amazing things in this Muslim world. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's easy for me sometimes sitting in, you know, Jackson, Wisconsin, in my bubble. Sometimes I forget, is God doing things in Jackson, Wisconsin? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But he's also doing some pretty amazing things around the world right now. And I got to be careful that I don't I get, don't get so focused on my little bubble that I don't that I miss on some of the really cool things he's doing around the world. Yeah. Um, and that gives me hope. Just to be reminded that God is at work here and he's also at work across the world doing, doing amazing things. Yeah. Um, and so things like that, things like that give me hope and remind me that we serve an amazing God. Um, as much as 2020 caught me by surprise, it, it didn't catch God by surprise. That's good. And, you know, he's at work in it as, as, as crazy as it sometimes seems to, to say that, that he's at work in it. That's, that's what he tells us in scripture. He's at work in it. Um, and so that gives me hope just knowing, mm-hmm. just knowing he's, he is, he is not surprised by anything that's happened this past year. And he is at work. Man. I love that. I'm, I'm tracking with you uh, specifically on the student side of that whole thought that you just shared specifically the expectation that some adults in our culture have of students and it's not necessarily overwhelmingly positive 
And what I've come to discover is that students will become what we speak over them. Yep. So I'm going to be somebody who speaks life over every student that God gives me the privilege of being in the same room with. I want to join God and amplify his call for all to live. And you're right. The Lord is doing something powerful in the student generation. I believe the student generation of middle school and high schoolers are very spiritual and they're, they're actually more open to the Lord and the reality of the gospel than we may, may even realize. And I'm excited about that. And then your second thought on what God's doing in the global church. Love it. Marlena was watching the exact same women's conference and okay, yep. she unpacked the exact same testimony to me. And we had this moment and we're, we're both like in awe and she was just retelling it to me. But in the retelling, there's like this awe. Yeah. And that's the power of a testimony. And I just love that. And we need to do more of that. We need to give testimony to what God is doing around the world and in our lives. And as we kind of land the plane on this whole talk, first, John, I have to say thank you so much for making the time for this conversation. I've been enriched by your perspective. I think your encouragement, specifically on technology and smartphone usage, is pure gold. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to listen again because I thought you brought some strong, practical guidance, some helps for every adult that has a student in their life that they just want to see win. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, man, it was it was a blast. I, I always enjoy talking to Dan Harrod. So it was my it was my privilege, man. Well, I appreciate you much, John. Thanks again. That. Well, there you have it, folks. We have come to the end of the line on this episode of Hope Between the Lines. I hope you are encouraged today by John's super practical and forward-thinking approach to use of technology in our homes because he said it so well. We are not able to undo yesterday, but we can sure do today with wisdom and focus and intentionality. So I'm grateful for John. I want to encourage you to find him online. I've left links for you to discover more about him in the show notes, but please make sure you're sharing this episode with a friend because John did drop a whole bunch of great thoughts on us today. And if you would please Find us on the media platform that you're listening to this podcast at and leave a review that helps more people just like you find great podcasts just like this. It is always my privilege to be walking with you through this very unique and amazing life that God has given us. Lastly, but never ever leastly, may the Lord bless you, may he keep you, and may his face shine forever brightly upon you.